The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome to Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin. This is episode 73. And in this episode, we are going to uh, do mostly uh, listener feedback. I've got a couple of audio tips and comments and things like that. Most of it's email. I did want to try to catch up as best I could. I've gotten a whole lot of email lately, even more than, than usual, which is fantastic. And uh, I certainly would don't want to discourage anyone from sending anything in. So please do keep it coming. And I really do like to try to catch up from time to time and have one of these listener episodes uh, as a way for me to kind of, you know, try to respond to some things. And there's some questions and some comments and things like that. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. I did have um, a couple of very minor things that I'll talk about is sort of here in this little main section first before we get to the tips and listener feedback. Nothing much, just a few little things that I've been playing around with that I thought I'd mention. Several people have, for some reason, just coincidentally sent me emails about this, so I thought I'd uh, cover a few little uh, fun things first. So let's get to that, and then we'll do the listener feedback. Okay, well, the first thing that I was going to talk about, because as I said, several people have emailed me about this just sort of coincidentally, and uh, that is Conkey. Uh, Conkey is a system monitor, and uh, you know there's uh, built-in system monitors for KDE and uh, GNOME, and even XFCE has a little has a couple of little applets that can you can stick down there in the panel. Uh, but Conkey is kind of neat. Um, Conkey is actually a fork of a previous project called Torsmo, and uh, I guess the development stopped on Torsmo for some reason. I don't really know the whole story behind it, but uh, people picked it up and continued it. And now it's called Conky and it's spelled C O N K Y. And basically what this is, is this is a way to, um, to provide really almost any kind of output on the screen, like on the desktop. In other words, you can have text placed wherever you want on the desktop that will provide you with whatever information you want. So the so the you know the text will appear to be almost static, like it will be stuck to the screen and uh, kind of you know affixed to your background. And but of course it will change if you've got it set to give you system updates and things like that. So uh, there, I'll put a link to the uh, Conkey homepage in the show notes. But basically the the way to configure this is using a, a a hidden file we've talked about hidden files before it's a you know file that begins with a period and the .conkyrc is the configuration file and there's a whole bunch of samples out there on the internet and uh, so I'll, you know I would just encourage you to to google if you actually if you go to the arch linux forums or even I think the Ubuntu forums, there's often threads where people people will say, you know, post screenshots with your Conkey, you know, showing and then uh, put a link 
uh, to your Conkey config file so people can kind of share. But basically, it's a text file that you edit and you kind of put in some parameters in terms of what type of window, if you want it to be transparent or, or sort of windowed and where you want it to be. And, uh, and then in the, you know, then towards the bottom is a big section where you can put, and it's basically codes, if you will, with, with what you want the output to be. There are variables, um, in the, uh, in Conkey that you can find on the Conkey website that will give you all kinds of information. So for example, I'm looking at my screen right now and what's actually kind of neat is you can have multiple Conkey sessions, if you will, running at once. And I have three Conkey sessions running on my screen. And I've got a screenshot of my current desktop in the Linux Reality Forms. Uh, so you can just you know check for that. You can see what it looks like. But basically, along the very top of my screen, well, I should start by saying I'm using the Openbox Window Manager. And this is on my Arch Linux desktop. So at the very top of my screen, I've got just a single line running across the very, very top in very, very small you know, terminus, I think I'm using the terminus font. And it basically gives me the, from left to right, I have the, the date, the time. Then I have, I use pipe characters to sort of separate each of these little blocks of information. So I've got the date and time, and then I've got my uptime, and then I've got my CPU usage. So, you know, as my CPU cranks, that goes up. Then I've got my memory usage. Then I've got my swap memory usage. And then I've got my download um, traffic, and then I've got my upload traffic, and then I've got the free space remaining in my root directory, and then the free space in my home directory, and then the free space in a, in a mounted uh, directory that I have on my file server. And then at the very end, I have a, a mail count, you know, the number of new mail in my email account. And then on the left-hand side of my screen, there's actually a way you can have RSS feeds using Conkey, which is really pretty cool. So I've got sort of a, a block, a big block of several RSS feeds that I subscribe to, and I have it currently listing just the top three stories because obviously I don't want it to, you know, it could take up the whole screen. So I've got it. I've got, I've really just got five or six feeds. I subscribe to, you know, tons of feeds in my feed reader, but I sort of have the top six or seven actually, um, uh, sites that I read the most you know, frequently, and I have the top three stories for each of those. So those are kind of displayed on the left-hand side of my screen, and on the far right-hand side of my screen, I've got a, a weather output. So it's got basically the weather report for my current area, and that gets updated automatically as well. Uh, so Conkey is very cool. I definitely recommend you check it out. Some people have problems with, the, with, it, with it flickering, and the way to solve that is to set, I think it's DBE, I think it's in the... Um, it's it's you, you basically you need to edit your xorg.conf file and in the i think it's in the module section um let me see i'll pull it up here right now okay it is in yes yeah the module section um section module in the xorg.conf file there's a bunch of modules that can be loaded like glx and dri and free type and stuff and the one you're looking for is i think it's the dbe one and it's like the double buffer extension, something like that. But basically, it allows text to be displayed without flickering. So uh, most people have that enabled by default, but occasionally people run into flickering problems, and that's usually something that solves it. Uh, so, you know, definitely check out Conkey. It's a, it's a very cool little system monitor. There's lots of other, like I said, lots of other system monitors. GK Realm is one I used to use quite a bit, although now I pretty much stick with Conkey, which is, uh, you know, which is pretty nice. And then the other thing I was going to talk about, just in, in terms of a general setup, you know, 
again, I kind of touched on this in the forums a little bit, but people have asked me about my current setup, and I think I mentioned it in my Arch Linux episode. But as I said, I'm using the Openbox uh, Window Manager, uh, and I've got um, Conky using uh, on the screen for all my system stuff. Uh, currently, I'm using I switch back and forth between Email FM2, which is a file manager I've mentioned before that I really like, and Thunar, which is the XFCE file manager, which is which is really really pretty neat. And then at the bottom for my panel, I for the longest time I used to use PYPanel, which is a Python-based panel, um, and it's very nice. I really like PYPanel. You can have launchers in there. You can have it can be transparent. I mean, it's very configurable. You can have the date and time and stuff. But there is a little piece of code, and it's called Tint. And I'll try to put a link in the show notes to this. And it's basically it's hosted on the Google Code website. You know, Google's got this thing. It's almost like SourceForge, where people can host little code projects. And it's called Tint, and it's um, I think it was done by an Arch Linux user. And it's really, really cool. Basically, the very bottom of your screen, and you'll see this in my screenshots that I have in the forums that I mentioned, um, it's basically transparent little tabs that appear as you open additional windows. And if you close all your windows down, then there's nothing there at all. It's like at the bottom of the screen is there's no panel at all. But as uh, each window opens, then another little tab appears. And you can set it so the tabs appear from left to right. I actually have my tabs appearing in the center. So if I only have one window open, just a single little tab opens at the very bottom. And it's it's um, transparent. And it's very, you know, it's, it's nice because it's kind of out of the way. But yet I can still see it. And you can, of course, configure the text, the font, the color, and all that stuff, of course. But uh, uh, that's a very cool little project. And um, it's, you know, it's just a simple little thing. I think it might be... I can't remember if it's written in Python or something else, but um, it might be C. I don't remember, but uh, it's a neat little thing and it works really well. So pretty cool stuff. Just thought I'd kind of talk about some little things that I've been doing here on my desktop. I always change my desktop from time to time and um, I've, I really do like open box. The other nice thing about open box is, and I think Fluxbox has something similar to this, but it has something called pipe menus, which is basically you can you can set it to run in the open box menu that appears when you right click on the desktop. You can have an entry, a menu entry that basically is the output of a command or a shell script. So I have in my uh, in my open box menu a uh, an entry called backgrounds, and it basically is a little shell script that just lists all my backgrounds that are in my little backgrounds folder in my home folder where I keep all my wallpapers and backgrounds and I've got it subdivided into sections, you know, different categories. And so you can quickly scan through. And so in other words, this menu will be updated dynamically. So if I was to drop a new wallpaper in there, it would just appear in the menu automatically. It's a very easy way for me to go through and select new backgrounds and pick the backgrounds that I want to have displayed. So, and I use Fay, which is another program I've mentioned, which is a graphical it's a display it's just a it all it does is it displays images and you can set it to display an image on the background and so it uses Faye to display my backgrounds in openbox because openbox by itself does not have any capability to display backgrounds so anyway that's just a fun little things and so let's check out a listener tip next Hi Jess, uh, it's Gordon from Scotland again. Um, I've got a tip for, for Mac users and Windows users 
who are tempted to try Linux, but are, I've heard all the horror stories about certain hardware being um, incompatible with Linux. There's an easy way to check if your hardware is compatible or not, and that's download a live CD, use it in live mode first, um, and make sure you can get online, try installing your printer, try uh, plugging in all your, your peripherals and seeing if they're recognised or not, if you can access the data in live mode. Um, and anything, any issues that you come across, you can then um, reboot back into Windows and find a solution to. Um, the thing with that, if in my case I have a SpeedTouch USB um, DSL modem, now that I had to, to find instructions and find firmware um, and how to install the firmware. If you need to, to download any instructions or any program like I did, make sure that you copy them across to an external medium like a USB stick or an external hard drive um, that you can access after you have wiped your Windows partition um, and bring them back in again uh, to, to do it. So that's essentially it. Use a live CD like Ubuntu or PC Linux or Fedora. There's lots of them. Um, these are the only three that come to mind at the moment. <laughs> um, but use a live CD, check out your hardware and see what issues you individually are going to face if you go ahead and install um, that distribution. So that's my tip um, and bye. Hello, Mr. Chess Griffin. I discovered Linux Reality a few months ago, and I've been listening to it ever since. It's a great show about Linux. I have had no experience with Linux, but I do have to deal with Unix, sort of. And that's what I'd like to know your opinion on. But let me explain. I tried to install Ubuntu a couple of months ago. But I couldn't. I was trying to install it on an external disk, and there were all kinds of problems, and I had some hardware issues, so I couldn't do that. But I've kept on listening to your show because I do have a Mac, and I'm running OS 10. And although that's not Linux, it is Unix. So I'm finding that a lot of what you teach on Linux and the command line world also applies to OS 10 and its Unix layer. For instance, you just did a show on Vim, and I can run Vim. It's If I call up a um, terminal, I can run Vim, too. So, I'd like to know your opinion. Is this a bad idea? Am I uh, barking up the wrong tree? I'm using your show not to learn about Linux, although I haven't given up on installing some distro eventually, but on... I'm using it to learn about the Unix layer of OS X, which I think is BSD or some modification of BSD. Uh, so what do you think uh, on that? Am I uh, taking a big chance? Uh, anyway, that's all i got to say. Great show. Keep up the good work. And I'm glad to see you got a sponsor. Hey, that's O'Reilly, no less. That's impressive. So good luck and keep up the good work. I'll be listening. Bye-bye. 
Well, thank you so much. That, that's a very nice audio comment. Uh, great quality there. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think it's fantastic, uh, that you're using this show and, uh, the stuff we talk about to explore the, uh, command line in OS 10. And you're right. OS 10, as far as I understand it, uh, is, has got some BSD code to it. It's another, basically a, a Unix type operating system. It's got some code from uh, Next, which was the company that Steve Jobs went to when he left Apple in the mid-90s. It uses a different kernel. It uses the mock kernel. Uh, so it's sort of a, a, a mixture, a, you know, potpourri of things. Uh, but it does have a lot of BSD in there. And, uh, of course, BSD is a Unix-like operating system just like Linux. So, yeah, a lot of this is very applicable. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, it's got Vim, you know, built in. I think it's, I think it comes with SSH and you can run top and, uh, you know, that uses sudo in the command line, just like uh, Ubuntu does. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities. I know people who write bash scripts and that run on OS 10. And, uh, so yeah, a lot of it is, is very, you know, is directly applicable. And I think that's fantastic. I think, um, it's interesting. I, um, you know, a lot of developers that I hear interviewed, um, and read interviews with, uh, tend to use, not, I shouldn't say tend to use, but some developers use back OS 10. And it's kind of interesting in that, you know, free BSD developers and, uh, other BSD developers and Linux developers, I've heard them or I've read them say that, you know, they love Linux, they love BSD, they use it here and there, but they also use OS 10 because it is basically a Unix like operating system. All of the graphical stuff that comes with, um, OS 10 is proprietary. The stuff that lies on top, um, you know, the quartz and, uh, aqua stuff. And I don't even know what it all is, but, um, a lot of the code underneath is, uh, is basically, you know, is based on some open source code and, and they do have the, uh, I guess the Darwin project and they do have some, some open code out there. Although really, uh, what most people use OS 10 for is all the proprietary, um, layers, you know, the, the, all the pretty effects and the, and the actual user interface, they have a, their own, um, uh, essentially X window system. I mean, it's not the X window system, but they have a different layer that displays uh, the graphical environments other than X. So they, you know, they do have some other things in there, but uh, yeah, I think that's very cool. I think that's very, very cool. So good luck with that. Thank you so much for sending in that audio comment. Here is an email from James. James says, I have a suggestion for a future episode of Linux reality. I'm thinking of buying a laptop and would like to know what a Linux user should look for when making a purchase. I hear things about Wi-Fi and about suspend and hibernate. Are there other things to take into consideration? I'm not asking for you to suggest an actual model, but what to look for and be wary of when making my decision. Thanks for the hard work you put into each show. I really appreciate it. Regards, James. Yeah, James, I know I've touched on this before in a, in a past episode. It might have been, I think I did an episode on, you know, uh, Linux hardware. Um, but, uh, basically I think for laptops, you've, the number one thing to do is to do your research ahead of time. You know, if you, if you narrow it down to a couple of models that you're interested in, you know, really search around in forums and a mailing list to see if you can find other people, uh, who have used that laptop, uh, and you know what their success rate is. There's a great website called Linux on laptops. If you just Google for that, you'll find it where they have laptops, um, basically, you know, pages that people have contributed for different manufacturers and using different distributions. I've got one up there for my uh, old Dell 700M for Slackware, and it's a great resource. There's tons and tons of pages on that website. Tux Mobile is another one. But as far as the actual hardware, what to consider, yeah, Wi-Fi is an issue. I have found that the um, Atheros-based chipsets and the Intel-based chipsets are the best supported in Linux. 
Intel, a lot of their chipsets, a lot of their drivers are, are open source. The, there's still a proprietary firmware, but uh, the driver at least is open source. And um, Atheris uses the Mad Wi-Fi driver. So those work really well. Suspend and Hibernate is very hit or miss. That's really one you want to research on to see whether or not it works. Um, ACPI can be very buggy. That's the subsystem, I guess, that, that runs, that, that sort of lets the hardware and the software talk to uh, do the suspend and hibernate, and it's a mixed it's a mixed bag. I have found ThinkPads to be really well supported. Uh, they're older models, at least, and uh, there's a great website called ThinkWiki that has a lot of excellent information on ThinkPads and Linux. Uh, as far as other things to take into consideration, the graphics chip is probably the only other thing I, would, I can think of off the top of my head. Um, simply because you can't obviously swap it out for a different card like you can with a desktop. Uh, so I would tend to lean, for me, my order of preference is Intel and then NVIDIA and then ATI. Uh, I like the Intel chips just because they're open source, but NVIDIA has got great chips also, of course, and then ATI. Although I do have an ATI on my one of my ThinkPads, and it works fine. And, in fact, it uses the open source Radeon driver, so I don't have to use the ATI proprietary drivers, and I can do barrel and I've been playing my 3D games. I think I mentioned in my last episode or a couple episodes ago, I was going to load up all these 3D games on it and take my laptop with me, and I did. And I've been playing Unreal Tournament and Quake and all using the open-source ATI drivers. So obviously those are older games, but they work well. All right, here's an email from Chris. Chris says, hey, Chess, I was just listening to episode 67. I'm behind a little bit. I heard you mention your hometown, Raleigh. I also live in Raleigh, working in education. I switched to Ubuntu about four months ago and have yet to look back or reboot. Ha. In education, both in the classroom and at the larger level, school systems continue to look for ways to cut corners, and I try to share Linux as a viable option with distros such as Edubuntu. I know of at least one school system who is going Linux system-wide, and many others using open-source software, with Audacity the largest in use, but GIMP and OpenOffice catching up quick. I really want to advertise the Linux OS as a viable solution, so look for that here in North Carolina in the future. Love the show, Chris. Very cool, Chris. And let me know about those school systems when they get that stuff up and running. I'd love to find out about it. Here's an email from Pete. Pete says, hey, Chess, great podcast on Arch. I really enjoyed it. I'm an intermediate Linux user and want to get a, want to get better. I would love a walkthrough on installing Arch, if that is possible. I know there is an install guide you talked about. I think an audio walkthrough would be really helpful to me. Arch is a distro that I'm very interested in. I've always used Deb Package Manager and would like to learn more about Pac-Man. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Pete. Long-time listener, first-time email. <laughs> Thanks again. Love it. Well, Pete, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I don't know if I'll be doing another episode on Arch, you know, a walkthrough. I mean, I kind of did a walkthrough in that episode. I know it was sort of, it wasn't entirely a walkthrough, but that was sort of the idea of what I was trying to do. But, um, uh, you know, the install guide really is very good. I mean, if you print that out and you follow that as you go through the install, you really um, should not have any problems. The biggest key I have found is making sure that you edit those config files when you get to that part of the installation before rebooting. A lot of people don't do that and they reboot and they don't have any networking or whatever. And, you know, you got to edit that slash Etsy slash RC dot com file first and make sure all that stuff is set. Uh, here's an email from Chris. Chris says, I've only been a listener for a few months now and I have to tell you, you've got me hooked on Linux completely. Thanks for everything you do. And I really see the open source world breaking into the mainstream now due in large part to people such as yourself. Thank you very much. Also, I would very much like to see an episode dedicated to myth TV specifically a not myth or myth Dora box. I'm currently building one and it seems to be more difficult than I expected. And I suspect I'm not alone. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> it seems to be a great project for my first Linux build and learning to tweak things is both fun and challenging. Anyway, thanks for the work you do. More people appreciate it than you realize. 
Chris. Um, thanks, Chris. Yeah, Myth TV, that's kind of been on my list for a long time, and I've sort of been putting it off because it is it is kind of difficult, and it's kind of difficult to do in a podcast sense because, you know, people's hardware is different, and, um, you know, I don't know. I have to think about that one. I, I still may do that, so you just have to stay tuned. <laughs> Here's one from Mohammed. Mohammed says, um, first – Sorry for my bad English. Thank you very much for your podcast. In fact, I'm not native English and I'm still learning it. I am listening to podcasts not only to learn about the subject which podcasts talk about, but also I want to hear how the native English people talk and understand. Uh, the first time when I listen to your podcast, I feel you talk very quickly, so I will do not understand you. But when I listen to the podcast now, now I can understand most things in the podcast. Again, thank you very much and great work. I think talking about compiling a kernel and talking about its benefits will be great. I know it's not for the beginner who the podcast is for, but it's a good subject. Another subject is to talk about the history of Linux, how Linus Torvald started it, the debate between him and Andrew Tenenbaum, the story behind Tux, and other subjects about the history. Is my English bad? Thanks, Mohammed. No, your Mohammed, your English is not bad at all. Um, I've said it before. I am never one to uh, say anything about... Um, um, people's English skills, because I just think it's, it's, I have no ear for foreign languages. I can kind of speak Spanish, but, um, I'm just not very good at foreign languages. And so anybody who can converse in another language, no matter the level, I think is, I think that's awesome. Um, Mohammed. So thank you very much for your email and, uh, compiling the kernel is I've thought about that. I don't know if I'm going to do that. That might be a little bit more advanced, but I think the history is a good idea. I kind of touched on it in the very beginning, but maybe that's something we can go back and visit. So, uh, thank you, Mohammed. Here's one from Edward. Edward says, Edward's been posting in the forums quite a bit. Edward says, Chess, aloha from sunny Hawaii. I just started listening to your program this month. I love it. I've been using Linux for about two years now, full time, and your show is very helpful. I set up PGP signing for my email, and I'm signing this email. I upload the public key to an Ubuntu server, so I'm not sure if you can get it. I hope so. I was also thinking of making it to the Ohio Linux Fest. It would be great if we could have a key swapping party, like you mentioned, for all the Linux reality folks that show up. Also, I want to get a laptop and bring it with me. It will be used, and I will be installing Ubuntu. Can I put my key on the laptop so that I don't have two keys out there, and can you use uh, PGP with Gmail or Yahoo Mail? I look forward to your next podcast and seeing everyone at Ohio Linux Fest if things work out for my trip. I wanted to send you audio feedback, but I'm still learning how to use the sound recorder or Audacity. Uh, from Edward. Yeah, Edward. Uh, gosh, a lot of good stuff in there. First of all, yep, I'm glad to hear that you might be going to Ohio Linux Fest. I think the um, the key signing party is a great idea. I don't think I'm going to have time to, to organize that, but if anybody listening wants to do that, I would definitely participate. I think that would be a lot of fun. I don't know how to do it. I've never done it. I've never been to one. So, But I've seen information on the internet about how to do a uh, a you know a GPG key signing party. I don't think it's too difficult, really. I think you just have to bring some identification and bring some bring your keys and I don't know what else. But yeah, you can definitely put your key on your laptop. You can. I have that. I have my own keys on multiple machines. You can just copy your dot um, GNU PG directory in your home directory, um, which is where your keys are held, and just copy it over to other machines. That's not a problem. Uh, so that should work out real well. So thank you very much, Edward. Here's one from Todd. Todd says, I know I'm coming late to the party, but I just discovered the Linux Reality Podcast. I'm up to episode 15, and all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Unlike most of the people that have emailed you, at least in the first 15 episodes, I actually am your target audience. I tried running Linux four years ago and quit because I couldn't get most of my hardware to work, and I got frustrated with the RTFM mentality in most of the help sites and forums I found. 
If this podcast had been available four years ago, I'd probably be a lot like most of the people who have sent you feedback in the first dozen or so episodes, using Linux for years and still writing uh, to you to tell you how good your show is. Oh, well. Are you still finding it a show to talk about running Windows and Mac applications on Linux? And he goes on to talk about voice recognition apps that run in Linux and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I you know, I don't really have a plan to talk about that. I mean, I, I did kind of cover that at one point. You probably hadn't gotten to that yet. I don't know of a way to run Mac applications on Linux. I don't know if you can do that, really. Um, Windows applications you basically can run with Wine or Crossover Office, or, of course, you can run a virtual machine like VMware or something like that, but that's that's sort of a separate I, I, you know, virtual machine, of course. But um, I don't know if any of those, you know, you, you mentioned Dragon Naturally Speaking works in Wine or not. I would go to Wine HQ. There's an applications database there that gives you a list of all the applications that run in Wine. And they've got some forms and some mailing lists and things as well to, to provide some help. And there's another website called Frank's Corner. And it's a guy who um, has his own sort of tutorials on how to get various Windows applications up and running in Linux. And then, again, finally, Crossover Office has got sort of more commercial support uh, for their supported applications. And I don't know if Dragon, naturally speaking, works with them or not. So uh, do check those out and, you know, let me know if those work. I would, I would love to know. Uh, let's see. Here is one from, um, from Anonymous. Anonymous says, I'm just catching up on your show after a long hiatus. At the beginning of episode 63, you asked what services your listeners host on Linux. At home, I run a simple disk server as a repository of miscellaneous information. ISO images, music installers for Windows software, a large library of digitized technology and science books and journals, and as a drop point for backups. At work, I'm developing an application that runs on WebSphere on Linux with a backend that runs in a simple JSC JVM. I'm not able to give any information about the application as it is considered proprietary, but the application is spiffy and makes the lives of the network administrators easier. Best regards, Anonymous. Here's one from Anders. Anders says, Hi, Chess. I was just listening to episode 22 about audio players. I don't know if this is way too late to comment on, but I'll give it a shot. You can control XMMS from the command line using, for example, XMMS-F to skip ahead one track in the playlist. Or you could do XMMS-S to toggle shuffle and so on. The cool bit about this is that you can bind these commands to shortcuts in your desktop environment. I use Fluxbox, so I've added forward, backward, stop, pause, and shuffle to my .fluxbox slash keys file, and now I can control XMMS using only the keyboard. To skip ahead, for example, I would put mod1v colon XMS, XMMS-F comma mod1. I think mod1 is usually the um, Windows key, I think. Uh, being lazy as I am, I also bound a key to open XMMS and fill the playlist with my music collection so I wouldn't have to do it manually every time. That's pretty cool. I like that. You can do this by typing XMMS slash path to music asterisk dash R. That's, I like that. That's very cool, Anders. Um, I don't know if it will work in KDE or GNOME, though, but uh, I know you can add key bindings to GNOME, so it should work there. Anyway, hope this is helpful. Keep up the fantastic job you're doing. Best regards, Anders in Denmark. Yeah, cool stuff, Anders. I like that very much. I think I might have to try that with XMMS. Here's one from Scott. Scott says, Hi, Chess. I just wanted to thank you for another well-done and timely episode. I had tried to install Arch Linux a few weeks ago and gave up. After listening to your episode, I had another go paying closer attention to the configuration files. I've wanted to set up a system from the base up and learn how to do things from the terminal before installing X. I've managed to set up wireless access, access how-tos on the web via links, and send this using MUT and Vim. Having no GUI really helps you learn the system. Thanks again for your hard work. Scott. Now that I think about it, I think I might have read Scott's email previously. So, <laughs> sorry about that. 
Here's one from Jay. Jay says, hey, man, I just started listening to the podcast, and after listening to the KDE slash GNOME episode in the archives, I thought this may help. You rightfully pointed out that the KDE taskbar was a bit clunky. You can't make it transparent and readable. I wrestled with this for a while and came across taskbar, and he gives me a link to taskbar. With this, you can make the taskbar transparent and set the font to be a nicely clear white, and when you mouse over something in the taskbar, you get a little thumbnail preview of the app window. But one issue I've noticed is hardly worth mentioning. The thumbnail preview for the web browser shows not the tab you have open, but the previous tab you used. But I need to use KDE for a few apps, and because for whatever reason, KDE runs better on my hardware than GNOME. It's a little experiment I started. I'm nearly positive a person's experience with a desktop environment has more to do with how that desktop environment functions with their particular hardware than it has with any intrinsic qualities of the desktop environment. People on older ATIs like me seem to have better luck with KDE, whereas people with better video cards seem to run known better than KDE. Anyway, I hope that helps some. From Jay, yeah, Jay, that is helpful. I Actually, the other thing is um, I know in KDE 3.5.7, I think they fixed that bug in, that, in the KDE kicker. Um, I'd been keeping track of that bug for a while because it was really bothering me how you, you know, you could, you could set the panel to be transparent, but you couldn't change the colors of the, of the font. So if you had a back, a black background and you had transparent panels, you couldn't set the font to be white. So you could read it. It was always black or it was black with like a gray border or something. Um, but that was finally fixed in KDE 3.5.7. I think it is. So, uh, here's one from Paul. Paul says, chess, sorry to hear of your audio problems. What an odd format decision for them to have made. I've been using the free Stanaphone service for years, very successfully attached as a sample response, having left a Skype out voicemail to my own account. What you might like best is, is the delivered file format. It is a simple wave file. While not as compact as an MP3, the raw wave will allow you to easily transcode it to your liking or play it in any player. Keep up the superlative effort. We all appreciate it sincerely from Paul. Thanks, Paul. Good, uh, good tip. I will definitely check that out. Here's one from uh, Gavin. Gavin says, common problem. A lot of folks think you need an iPod to listen to a podcast, but how to get the message across? Perhaps link to this from the main website. The musical format might grab some folks' attention. Uh, and he gave me a link to something about uh, the, the yeah podcast. Actually, Gavin, I do have something in the FAQ about that. In the FAQ, uh, which I've got up on the website, says something about the fact that you don't need an iPod to listen to podcasts. And, yeah, I'm not crazy about the term podcast either, but... Like you said, I'm not going to get all hung up on it. Uh, here's one from Jay Halstead. Jay says, I was wondering, I used your special Slackware episode when it came out to install Slackware and got it running on my laptop. I only ran it for like two weeks before moving on, but I want to install Slackware 12 on it now. I was wondering if you could do a Slackware episode or perhaps just a post in the forums if there are any differences for installing this now compared to the older installs. Thanks. Actually, the installation is really pretty much the same, and it has been the same for the longest time. The Slackware uh, installer has not changed much. Um, so I think that previous episode should work just fine. Definitely um, check out the linuxquestions.org Slackware forums. There have been some posts in there. There have been a few little issues with HAL, and um, I had reported uh, a bug uh, before Slackware 12 came out, and, and Pat Volkerting and I emailed about it, and um, I, I don't think it was fixed before it was finally released. It's not really a bug necessarily. It's just a kernel configuration option. So it's debatable whether it, um, it should be enabled or not, but it was not enabled. And so suspend uh, on some laptops doesn't work. And I had found a fix for it and I've posted that in the Linux questions.org uh, forums. Um, and it's a very simple option, but you do need to recompile the kernel for that. So if you have problems suspending, that's one thing to check out. 
Uh, okay. And then the last email for this week, here's one from Joe. Joe says, hello, Chess. I want to tell you that you've inspired me to buy a Linksys slug to learn something about home servers. I always wanted to do that, but it's not possible to have two machines in my apartment, apart from the ecological and economical issues of having two big machines running. But the slug seems to be a solution for that problem. My slug, Debian, now runs Apache and acts as a file server for my LAN. It's great, but a little sluggish, so I call the device my sluggish slug. <laughs> my listener tip is about a login screen. When I log in via SSH, I find it very nice to have a message telling me that I'm about to log into my slug. So I created a little banner with Figlet and edited the slash etc slash SSH slash SSHD underscore config on my slug. The only thing I had to do is uncomment the line, and it's a line that says banner slash etsy slash issue dot net and replace it with banner slash home slash joe slash my slug dot text. Of course, the file my slug dot text must exist on the slug. After I re rebooted my SSH server with slash etsy slash init period slash SSH restart, I was able to see the banner during my next login. Nice and easy. Please keep up the good work. I do like your podcast a lot. Sincerely, Joe. Yeah, Joe, that's a great tip. I've used Figlet quite a bit. Figlet is a, a command line tool that you give it some, you know, a phrase or a word, and it outputs it in like ASCII art. And you may have seen ASCII art um, in mailing lists of people's signatures and stuff, but it's sort of, it's using characters to either draw a picture or to make words in different fonts using characters. It's kind of hard to explain, I guess, but um, Figlet does that. And so you can, yeah, now you can create a banner, um, that will be displayed when you SSH in to any machine. And, uh, what he talked about was uncommenting the line banner in your SSHD underscore config file to, and then give it the path to where that text file is located. You can also do the same thing on any machine that you can, you, that you log into even just your regular machine by, um, changing the message of the day, the MOTD. And it's usually in Etsy, so you'll see Etsy slash MOTD. That's called the message of the day. And uh, some machines like Slackware uh, message of the day will display a, an outline or um, one of the fortune uh, game outputs. Fortune is a BSD, an old text-based game that basically just gives you funny little sayings or jokes or whatever. And Slackware is set up for the message of the day to display something from the fortune games. And you can set it to display anything. In, in fact, on my servers, I have it set to display a lot of information, such as my last login, the uptime. I give like some process information so I can quickly log in and get a bunch of interesting data. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do with your login banners. And so maybe, maybe I'll have to do an episode on that. That sounds like a good topic sometime. So, but in the meantime, you can check that out. Okay, I think that's going to do it for this week. I had a few more here, but um, you know, I think that's that's <laughs> that's been plenty for now, uh, and it's about time to wrap it up. Okay, well, thanks for uh, listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed all this great listener feedback and tips and audio comments and all that good stuff as as well as my rambling about open box and <laughs> conky and that's just i really enjoy that kind of stuff i mean to me uh that's those are the kinds of things that make linux different and and fun you know different kinds of window managers different kinds of tools little utilities and scripts and things like that it's just it's just me uh, so anyway, feel free to keep the emails and the voicemails and everything coming. Uh, send it to linuxreality at gmail.com. 
You can also check out linuxreality.com slash contact for the uh, listener hotline telephone numbers, one of which is also a SIP number. So if you've got a SIP client, you can call that. Uh, it's also a Gizmo account. Liz, uh, Linux Reality is the Gizmo username, so just feel free to uh, send me a voicemail that way. Uh, as well as the forms, linuxreality.com slash forms. Lots of great stuff in there. If you haven't registered, please do so and join the conversation. Uh, let's see. Next week, I think, um, well, I still got a few few other topics in mind, and uh, so we'll just kind of hold off. We'll see what happens next week, but I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. I'm having a great time doing this, and I've got a lot of things to talk about. So hope you all have a great week and a great weekend. I'll catch you next time. And uh, for those of, the, of you who are thinking about the Ohio Linux Fest, you know, I look forward to seeing you there. It's just It's coming up. What is it? About, about a month and a half. Well, maybe about two months, something like that. So it'll be here before you know it. Anyway, take care, everyone. We'll catch you next time. This has been Episode 73 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.